Hello, may I welcome you to episode 21 of Moving Matters. I am your host, Colin Wynn. I hope Moving Matters will give you an insight to others working or have worked in this wonderful industry as I delve into their past, their present and their future. You will find a new episode of Moving Matters on the second and fourth Thursday of each month. In this episode, we discover that my guest started in the industry 30 years ago as a porter on the truck straight after leaving school at the tender age of 15. We discuss how he came to purchase a company that began life in 1820, the challenges he has had to overcome, what he would change from his past, which is know your cost, and he mentions this several times too, his high point, which was a mere eight years ago, what he would change within the industry, and public perception is at the forefront yet again. We discuss import and export since Brexit, why he's not a member of the BAR and what he does outside of the industry when he's not sleeping. And as always, we end with a couple of funny moving stories together with a couple of short tales. My guest this episode is Richard Webster, Director of Tonks Removals. Enjoy. Good morning, Richard. How are you today? Good morning, Colin. I'm fine, thank you. Thanks for your uh, invite to this. That's uh, nice to be uh, get on the podcast like everybody else. My pleasure. Welcome to Moving Matters. Can you tell everyone about yourself and the length of time within the industry? Well, my name's uh, Richard Webster. I've been in this industry full-time. Well, in June this year, it'll be my 30th year. I started when I was uh, 15 years old, just left school and... Uh, Started as a, a porter on the on the trucks as such. I'm married, wife Claire, 19 years, two children, Tom and Erin, 17 and 13, who are difficult, costly. I thought removal trucks. <laughs> I thought removal trucks were expensive, but children are even worse. And yeah, yeah, it's, this is all I've ever done. To be honest, Colin, I've never had any other job in any other industry. As I say, it's my 30th year, and. And I'm, you know, I'm 46 this year. I started when I was 15 because I'm a late birthday in the school year and left school on the Friday and started full-time furniture moving on the Monday morning. So at the age of 15, did you start doing portering at Tonks? No. My father at the time worked for a, a local mover in East Yorkshire and I'd been working there on a school holiday Saturday morning. So I've actually more than 30th years, but I was you know, just helping out on the on the six week holidays and such like. And then they offered me a job when I left school. So no, it wasn't at Tonks. I started Tonks came about when I was twenty, and, and my brother was twenty two. Can you tell everyone about your company and the services that it offers? I'm fifty percent owner of Tonks Removal Services Limited with my brother James. The company is actually two hundred and one years old. It was started in eighteen twenty by the Tonks family in Scarborough. That was the the start of it. I mean, it was basically just a, a like a horse and cart type of moving company. And they, the company developed into a bit of retailing and ended up with a big department store in, in the centre of Scarborough. That was in the 1920s and through to 1980 when that department store was sold to Littlewoods. Conglomerate bought it out and they ran it for a few years and, and closed it down. So the removal side of the business has always been there and that was a separate entity to the shop which continued until 1995 and then in 1995 it was put up for sale by the owner of Nigel Tonks. My father heard about it, we, we were both working at a different company then and he said to me and my brother James, oh do you fancy putting a bid in for Tonks removals? 
So, a bit of a pub evening. So, yes, yes. My brother was an agricultural engineer at the time, making farm trailers for uh, a family friend. So, that wasn't the best of health of jobs. So, we said, yeah, we'll we'll put a bit in for it. No money, no no um, no idea of what we were doing, but uh, we went for it. We bid the princely sum of eight thousand pounds for the business. Wow! Yeah, it wasn't a, it wasn't a great deal, and the and the assets of the business was one Bedford truck, the goodwill, the equipment, and a warehouse full of furniture for different clients that um, that needed to be emptied within a period after if you were awarded the um, the sale. So anyway, as it turns out, we we were um, we were the winners of the the offer, and uh, we moved on and. Um, we got the notification that we'd we'd uh, been our offer had been accepted, so we had to then find the eight thousand pounds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it was a bit of a chicken and egg that, but we um, we managed it with the help of um, HSBC, and uh, and then we um, we we took over the uh, the business. We had a, a short period in the the existing property of, of Mr. Tonks. That was sold off separately to a, a theatre company. They bought the warehouse in Scarborough. So we had to um we had to move all the, the storage rooms as it was then. It was just a big old fashioned place with rooms and with doorways with little names on you know, traditional like sheeted over of, of effects wow. with a name. Oh it was it was literally like a time warp. So yeah so proper we, old school depository then. Yes, it was. Everything was to carry upstairs to the there was no lifts. It was it was awful. So we roped in a lot of our mates as such, and one Saturday and Sunday we emptied the place and just moved it all to a, a temporary place. We, you know, we'd, we'd rented a bit of a space in a warehouse and we just stacked all the furniture on the floor. We were using the Bedford truck. It was bizarre, but at the time, neither of me and my brother could drive the lorry. We didn't know anything about operating licenses, insurance, but nothing. We just, we just winged it. It was literally, let's just see what, what happens. And then in 1996, we, we rented a warehouse in Driffield, 6,000 square foot place. And then we moved it, all the stuff again to that place. And then we sort of developed the business from there. We Instead of being on somebody else's operator's license, we got our own from that premise. Fortunately, my father has a, had a CPC, so he is still the CPC holder, even though I've subsequently I've done the, the qualification. Yeah, so we, we, we got an operator's license. We got, as it happens, an international one. So we... Um, we had that to our scope, even though we were struggling getting out of Yorkshire at the time. But what it did do with the company being historically old and having such a good name in Scarborough, we did get in that first few months and years, we did get a lot, a lot of repeat business. Clients would ring up, hello, is that Tonks? Yeah, I'm moving on so-and-so day. So, well, do you, would you like to come and see us and give you a quote? No, I'm just telling you I'm moving on this day. Just book me in. <laughs> and it was it was bizarre because you didn't have to quote clients. They were just, it was very, very old school. They, they, you know, you'd do the move, you'd send them a bill, and then they'd send a check. And, oh, they, you know, there was never any issues. And that was the reputation that they had because the name was so synonymous with the area. So it, it gave us a good start because we didn't have to, invest masses into sales and marketing because the phone would just ring we would just ring because there was no internet there was no it was in its infancy and there was no it was it was very easily to um to get the clients because the the, the reputation that we'd bought was 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 very good and so then from there we, we were that premise for three years then the landlord gave us notice he wanted the premise back so we moved to another place in the village actually where i live that was twelve thousand square foot and we 
of a couple of buildings and we'd, we'd containerized the goods by then. So we'd gone into the normal containerized storage and then we... We were there for 15 years, and then we moved to our current site at Carnaby, which is a purpose-built place. We've moved around in terms of the company, but we've now actually found our own place, so we're, we're, we're settled there and we'll, and we'll be there for the foreseeable. Uh, in terms of unique selling point, it's just just a heritage, really. The heritage and the and the tradition and experience of the staff and the, and the longevity of the company. There is one or two older companies out there, but not... Not, I don't think it's in the 200th year. To, in the, we're into the third century now, and obviously we're we try and you know maintain that um, that reputation and that, but with a modern look of the company and you know modern vehicles, modern methods, and modern modernisation. But obviously, last year we were we were planning to do a a 200th year 2020, but obviously with a few uh, global pandemics in the way, it, uh, it sort of snooked the plan. I think I think Jeff uh, had a 100-year one planned as well, so uh, Arches. But but yeah, so we'll, we will do something when we can. Some of our customers, some of the customers have been with us a long time, not private customers, uh, industry customers, and, uh, and obviously industry friends that we've made along the way. So I just want to go back on one thing. At what age were you and your brother uh, when you bought Tonks? Yeah, I was 20 and he was 22. So very young when you decided, let's go and bid for this company. Yes, there was quite a large amount of alcohol involved in the in the <laughs> initial. Well, you did say you were in the pub. <laughs> yes, it was. It was an initial. Oh yeah, and, and don't and don't get me wrong. You know, at that time we had no we had no wives, no children, no homes of our own. We were very carefree in terms of our actual total over. You know, our overheads personally were were, were nothing. So if it didn't work out. Had it gone sour, we hadn't actually been. It wouldn't have been a great, a great loss yeah. uh, in terms of because the commitment-wise, not that we weren't committed to, to doing it. It was we didn't have anything, any peripheral stuff that would have um, that would have been at risk at the time. If you see what I mean. So, but uh, but yeah, it was young. It was young. People think you know, are you crazy? You daft and such like. And but I think not. I don't know. It's. Um, there's a lot to learn, but the only way to learn it is uh, is to do it, so to speak. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So you say you've got 50% ownership with your brother James. Yeah. Who clearly has the other 50%. Yeah. What are your roles? Who does what? Pretty much everything across the board. We, we There's no set roles at our place. I mean, I still drive the trucks. I was in Paris last week delivering a job. He's more actually on the trucks as such. He's very, very limited in with the, in with the office, but there's no set rules. If there's a trip to go to France and I'm doing it and the surveys to do, he'll do the surveys. In terms of actual management of the business, I would say it's probably more 80, 90% of it. I do that in terms of the actual decision-making as such. But James is, James does, as I say, the same amount of, of work, physical work. But then if you know, we do a little bit of our own engineering, anybody who knows us, we do a little bit of development of our own trucks and that sort of stuff, which is more his lead from his, uh, his engineering background. He always blames me for um, when things are... When, <laughs> When things are when things are going bad or there's an issue, he's like, "If you want to bloody tell me to do this," and I'm like, "Yeah, well," <laughs> so I, you know, he's like, he's like, and he always, if he's just jokingly, he'll say to some people, oh, "I used to be an engineer before he dragged me into this industry." But that that's that's in jest. But he's he's a lot less known to people. He's my brother James because I'm I'm more of the forefront of the yeah. face of the of the business as such. But uh, but in terms of roles, we you know we we both do our own roles, but. 
emails, costings, etc. Is is more my sort of thing. He's happier to to do what he does. But it works. It works. I mean, I often purchase things, and he'll. I don't. I'm. I'm you know. I don't even ask him. But we're we're, we're fairly close in terms of. Bizarrely enough, sometimes we can be thinking about the same thing, but we're in totally separate countries. And he'll pick yeah. the phone up and I'll, I'll ring and I'll, he'll say, oh, so and so, you know, whatever. You think we ought to do this? And I'm like, yeah, I was just thinking about that. So we're very, very much in tune. And there's, we've we've had, I would say, I would say we probably have two or three fallouts in the last 26 years because mm. we, you know, we used to fall out cat and dog when we were children. But in terms of business, we always try to work on the assumption there's no good falling out about something that can't be changed. Yeah. There's just no need because all it does is is develop and linger. So we'll have disagreements on stuff, but only, yeah, right, well, I think we should do that, right, we'll do that then, and that sort of thing. But in terms of actual falling out, falling out, it's not, it's it's never it's never been the case. Well, disagreements can be healthy, so there's, there's no problem with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Often when he says, he'll, he'll, I'll say, oh, I bought that, and he'll be like, what you bought that for? And then a few months later, it's like, oh, well, yeah, it wasn't too bad. Or... But again, if he goes out and spends something in terms of for the business, it is what it is. With There's never any yeah. any issues or any further you know, lingerings because we've done something different. But in terms of roles, you know, I was hoovering up in the office on Friday and I don't know what he was doing. He was doing, he was doing it out doing a move. So I was doing a big corporate move in uh, from York to China. So, yeah, so, you know, we all have our different things. So what challenges have you had to overcome? Challenges? The lack of money from the early onset of, from 1995, we're not even having the money to buy the business, to uh, to now, because I'm sure you're aware, and, and most people listening to it, this it's not a high margin, it's a high cost business, but it's not a high margin business. So the challenges of, of finance is always always difficult in any removal company, I believe, from from the top to the bottom. The you know the one man bands who are just using one van and up to the big corporate accounts that you know the big hundred, two hundred, uh, three hundred, four hundred staff movers. The cash is always an issue. And starting from a young age, that was always being taken seriously. That was that was quite hard, but that comes with age. And also just learning, that was the biggest challenge, learning how to run a business. And we learn every day. Everybody who's out there who says they don't learn something new every day is, um, is not telling the truth because nobody knows it all, unless maybe when they get to retirement, they maybe know it all. But, but yeah, just, just learning new ideas, new stuff, and learning how to control staff, how to manage budgets, how to finance vehicles, how to make sure the vehicles are roadworthy everything there's all, there's always a challenge every day to um to overcome some are greater than others but just when you get experience it just you can sort of foresee the issues you've got coming up whereas when you first start you you gun her and, and everybody's every you know what we were going to do in in 1995 by 96 we we're going to be driving ferraris and um and living in mansions <laughs> and i can assure you that we're doing neither of those so this time next year we'll be yeah, millionaires. Yeah, my, my, my wife often says that. To, she calls me and James uh, Dell and Rodney. She's like, she says you, you've always got a you've always got a scheme. You've always you're always up to something. But I think you always have to be looking. Even though the removal industry will make you a living if you do it well and do it right, it will make you a living and a good living if you're the owner, a reasonably good living, and you'll always be okay because if you do it right. Your reputation will mean that you've you've always got some business, but it'll never make you any 
you'd have to be lucky, you know, one in a hundred that'll make you any serious money. So you have to be looking at doing other things with that the the business you've got facilitates, whether it be property, whether it be vehicles, whether it be just always other other elements that you need to do just to to give you a little bit of a bit little bit of a leg up. We we buy and sell some vehicles and do stuff like that, which the the business facilitates that because of the, the the money that throws through it but it's but it the, the margins are, are, are better on on stuff other than removals yeah and if you could change anything from your past what would it be well listening to your previous podcast people i was going to say victims there colin but no, they're all victims <laughs> no, you, you previous, uh, uh, you've got to say I, I can't change anything because i can't change it the only thing i would say and, I, and one of your, your further points that we'll get on is realizing what it actually costs to operate your business that is the biggest thing me and my brother have often we got a little bit uh heavily involved with a london-based company that we were doing a lot of origin work for them and we were basically towards the end subsidizing their business by us doing jobs for less than than the costs because of the volume and you know you get a big juicy check at the end of the week or the end of the month and you think oh yeah that's great but actually what's it cost you to do that 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 amount of work you know and you're getting a check for 60 70 grand for the month but it's cost you 80 grand to do it and they've walled off with the profit so so yeah so that's that would be the only thing that i would change is the realization of that every pretty much every job you do needs to be a profitable job that's what i would change because cost me and my brother a few quid over, over the years in terms of what we lost and what we what it position it put us in but we went back from there but it, it one thing it has done is made us very aware of costs so not taking the correct view on things is has actually made us better if you see what i mean oh yeah definitely definitely so it's it's diff- it's a difficult industry because knowing your costs is what people fall down on they look at the what the revenue they're going to get for the job, but they don't look at what that's gonna that re- to achieve that revenue, what it's going to cost them. There was a little post on on Facebook the other day asking what what the going rate for assistance is, and there isn't a going rate in my opinion for the assistance. It's whatever your cost is for your staff to go and help somebody else, plus the margin that you wish to charge, plus the fact of them getting there. So there was a, a thing of well, I charge a minimum of fifteen pounds an hour for for six hours. Well, that's fine if that's if that's what you want to charge ninety quid plus that or whatever. That's fine. But if your guys cost you a hundred quid, hundred and ten quid to go and assist somebody today, you've sponsored them twenty quid. Yeah. <laughs> so the cost yeah, is, the, the, you know, the cost is what your costs are and plus your margin. And if people aren't prepared to pay that, then that's fine. That's their choice not to pay it. All our guys are on a salary and they're all employed. That's with pensions, with and people don't, as I say, they don't know the true cost of labour. In our industry, it's pretty much 45, 50% of your overall costs are your labour. And if they don't know that the labour cost is costing them X, then they're never going to make Y. And the labour cost, there's a lot involved in the labour cost now. It's not just the national insurance, the PAY, it's your pensions, it's the uniform, it's the training, it's the, you know, the holiday pay. People just don't realise that. No, don't no, it. no, and it's it's not an, it's not a hard calculation. I mean, you put it all no. in and then divide it by the number of working days. We work Monday to Friday. Very rarely work a Saturday or a Sunday. There might be a little bit of yard work to do for the prep for the Monday, but in terms of going out and doing jobs, because the the, the staff need the time off, gun her six seven days a week. It just it just fatigues people, and they, they you know we're here to earn money to live in our lives. 
but our lives shouldn't be dictated to by work. You know, it's a balance between the two. And don't get me wrong, sometimes we're away the weekend. If if the delivery's on a Friday in Nice or Monaco, then the guys are obviously going to be weekended yeah. out, and and they get yeah. and they get remuneration for that. But you can't you can't have people just constantly working because it's difficult, and it and it and it takes them away from their families. Absolutely. What is your high point of being in the industry? I would say there's a few really. In terms of the business, opening our own storage facility and building it from scratch, purchasing the land, building the building. A lot of it we did ourselves because being true Yorkshiremen, we're too tight to pay people for stuff that we can do that we can do ourselves. <laughs> yeah, that's that's just the way it is. And also at the time we wanted to keep the debt level as, as low as possible on the overhead so that's got to be i mean it's it's it was eight years it's eight years old now is our facility but everybody comes and says oh you rent this and it's like no me and my brother own it and we're paying it off quite aggressively as well so there will be a point where it's it's lock stock and barrel hours which will be a high point but as a person and james will tell you the same the the highest point that you can get within our industry is having the respect of others that are in the same industry that you are a decent person and that you do a good job and i think in our industry obviously you've been involved in it a long time there is most if not all removal company owners are genuinely decent people the the respect of others is as important as you know as having a nice car as having a, a nice facility or having a nice business if you haven't got any other people's respect then in my opinion it's a little bit disappointing so yeah and that respect has got to be earned and it's got to be worked for and if if you've got that of others, and I mean I'm I'm a lucky position now. I could I could ring somebody this morning and say, oh, I've got a problem with this, I've got a problem with that, and they would be happy to help me. And that'd be from London, from anywhere in Yorkshire up to Scotland, anywhere in Europe. I've got friends from that I've met through yep. doing the job. Back to what I said earlier in terms of I'm the more of the face of the business. I you know I have to go to meetings, some partners that we work with. I have to go to conferences. You know, last one I went to was in Prague. Last one before that was in Paris. And when you you go there and you meet people, but I've some of the people I talk to, you know, on a weekly basis, I've no, I've known for twenty five, thirty. I've known some of them prior to actually earning earning tonks, and we work together now. So I think if you've got that respect of others, then I think that you've got to sort of feel as if you've done all right. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. What one thing would you change within the moving industry? There's a few things I would change, but the the one thing if I could change would be the public perception of our industry. Oh, here we go again. Here we go again. (laughs) It's just, it's just, it's just the the public, the general public. And it's just this last few months, it's just changed. It's just become where they can see the value of paying the proper price. Hooray. Yeah, it's just this, this COVID thing and this stamp duty thing combined has made the public think right i will pay 700 quid to move house i will get a cost off thousand quid to move house they'll just put it into the budget because they're happy to pay the estate agents and the solicitors and then we and then we're so the public perception of our industry in the last few months has gone up but it it, it'll it'll dip again don't get me wrong it, it will dip again it will come down and it will be back to you know 10 percent trying to just to achieve the lads going out and and doing the job well let's hope not Oh no, we've 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 said as a as a business that if it's not worth doing, we aren't doing it because the re- the repeat business as well. It's not like Tesco's and and your supermarkets and your shops where people return on a weekly basis. You're looking at 
five to ten years if you do a successful job before you move the customer again locally. So you've you've got to make a profit out of the move. And that's back to the costings thing. People again don't know the true costs. They know what they think it's cost, but nobody actually sits down and works out the true cost. And if all the people in the industry did that, your van and your man men, and I think Nigel alluded to this, the price is the price. And until you've until that customer's got the first quote through the door, whether it be off the internet or whatever, or, or from a, from a, somebody going around to view, they have no idea how much it costs to move house. They just don't. They just don't. But the perceived value of our industry compared to other tradesmen is so low that they think they can do it themselves or they think that our costs are, are expensive when they get the quotation. So it's very difficult. And we need, we need as an industry to change that. But I don't, I don't know how. I just don't know. Oh, I thought you were going to come up with a solution then, Richard. Oh, God. <laughs> All God. the listeners are wanting the solution. <laughs> oh, they would. They would. They would. And, and the, only, the only time you can, you can actually change that is, is when you go and do the, the survey. And I am, I wouldn't say blunt, but I, I, will, <laughs> I will tell them that the guys that are coming to do your move are employees. They're not some friend out of a pub. They're not a mate from down the road who's signing on, which happens. That's just the industry we're in. Sadly, yes. Sadly, sir. But this is their job, such as the gas man, such as the electrician, such as the, the joiner, such as a bricklayer, such as a roofer, the removal man. This is their job. And all those other industries that I just mentioned are perceived to be worth paying for. And then you say, this is our quote. Oh, I am paying that to move out. Well, why are you not paying it? And the reason they're not paying is because is their perception is that we shouldn't be charging those rates. And that perception needs changing. And I try and do it when I do the survey and I'll say, look, this is us. We're a 200-year-old company and try and force home that the guys are doing this for their income. And like you said earlier, they are on pensions. We have national insurance contributions to pay. They're on pays you earn. They're trained. They're uniformed and all that that you mentioned earlier. It, it's difficult. And the truck that's pulling up outside is 50, 60 grand capital investment for the company. It's not budget and Smith hire van from around the corner or some old knackered transit that they bought off eBay for 500 quid. But when it's that day of a move arrives and somebody turns up with a small van, client's already committed. Yeah. Can't do anything else. Can't do anything else. And because it's not such a repeat business in terms of moving, they just have to go with it. I mean, I would love to see how many times that we've quoted and then we've lost the job to somebody locally and they turn up with something else. And the client, I would love to see how many times they've said, oh, we should have used that company. We should have used X company because this is what we've got. But the comparison between the van and the man and somebody who's not doing it as a profession by comparison to us who, who is, is our profession, until that point of removal that day, the client has no knowledge. Unless, I mean, unless they do a bit of research and come and see your facility and come and look at, the, at your vehicles, etc. But nine times out of ten, they don't do that. They give them a price and that's it. So that's the biggest thing I would change, just a perception of what, what they're perceived to be worth the value. Could it be that the public's perception is that it's not skilled labour? Like if you want a plumber, an electrician, a lawyer, they've got to learn their trade, they've got to get their qualifications, where maybe the public see the removals industry as it's just guys lifting and shifting furniture. But there's a bloody great big skill involved in it. Those guys have got to pack your, your worldly goods into the back of a van and make sure that they are stacked correctly, that they do not fall during transit. Yeah. That's you've hit the nail on the head there, Colin. Yeah, there used to be a few years ago, and there's still a few out there now. Training courses as such. You're right. The perception is that it's just a couple of lads in a van, and they'll they'll put gear in and that. I mean, 
some of our employees have been with us. One employee has been with us over 25 years now. It'll be 25 years next month. And they're all skilled. They're all skilled men. And the skills aren't just stacking the truck. The skills of being there on time are assessing the job, assessing the, you know, I always say to people, you've got to have the skill to pack a fragile ornament into a carton with tissue paper and make sure that it doesn't get bricked. The same guy has to have the same skill to bring a grand piano downstairs. And there's ends of the spectrum and everything in between, strip a wardrobe, drop a bed, stack the truck, not upset the neighbours, you know, a bit of soul-searching with the customer when they're upset, a bit of counselling. We had a one move in Beverly the other week. There was an animosity between the buyer and the seller. Our customer was a lady on her own. Our two guys had to basically stand behind her like bouncers to stop the, the guy hitting her. <laughs> so, oh, you, you know, and that skill takes time to hone, and, and there isn't a massive amount of training there for removals because it's a lot of it's down to experience. But if we if we take somebody on, a new starter, they're out with a two-man crew for at least a month before we'd even set them on as, as part of a two-man crew. It becomes a three-man crew, just so they can see the whole array of what's expected. Because you'll see posts on Facebook and that, they'll say, oh, can you, uh, I've got a couple of days' work and I've been let down by so-and-so. Anybody out there who can come and do a bit of removals? And it's like, that shouldn't happen, but it, it does. Yeah. But it shouldn't happen because it's then devaluing what we sell. Somebody else can see that person think, oh, well, you can just get anybody to come and shift your furniture. It doesn't matter. And it, and it does matter because I, was, <laughs> I said that I was in a meeting in London once and this guy said to me, oh, well, can you get some more staff and can you give us some more availability? And there was, there was three or four guys in this meeting and, and one of them was an ex-removal man off the road and he'd come up through the ranks, he was working in the office and there was a sales guy and a general manager there. He says, oh, can you get some more staff? Can you give us some more trucks? And I said to him, Daryl, you can put a T-shirt on an idiot, but underneath he's still an idiot. I said all what will happen is that that person will go out, damage a load of stuff, scratch a floor, break something, say something wrong to the customer and then you'll be coming back to me to say well what are you going to do about it Richard? Well my best idea is that I'll employ skilled full-time staff and when we're fully booked we're fully booked and that I don't get those problems because don't get me wrong we have done it we have done it we've just you know I'll get get someone to come give us a chuck and and then next thing you know, they've smashed something and they've gone and you've never seen them again and I'm left with six weeks. It's of just not worth back. it. It's not worth it. But like we said earlier, the barriers to entry, there is no barriers to entry into the industry. Obviously, you've got the operator's license, but the people now doing these large low loader vans, as people call them, can buy a couple of those and all of a sudden you can move 15, 1,600 foot with two vans and totally overloaded and illegal. Get yourself a, a mobile phone and a and an email address, and all of a sudden you're a removal company. Yeah, too easy. It is too easy because it's not regulated. There's no, you know, like the gas are regulated, the electricians are regulated, the bricklayers and that are roofers are regulated through the guarantee on houses and and such like. But yeah, it's 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 difficult. But I'm not going to change it. I just wish I could. So you mentioned low loaders. Yeah. I see you mainly use demountable bodies. Are these mainly for trade work? Yeah, not such as trade work as such, but we do we do have them for the convenience of, two, well, two or three reasons. One is access issues. They can take up to 3,200 cubic feet with a truck and a trailer. If you've got a bad access, you can switch the body from one to the other. So you've, you've got the volume there. If you've got short-term storage, which... Clients are more and more doing that. I'm moving out, but I'm out for a week. We can start on the demount. So there's no no putting it into storage because the goods are loaded, drop the body, do something else, 
and then pick it back up again. So there is the convenience of that. And there's also the, the cost implications. When things are coming up for renewal, the lead time and the cost on a new truck build is, is phenomenal. Whereas uh, with the D-mounts, if your truck's to change, you're not changing the whole vehicle. You're only changing the prime mover or you can update your D-mountables. Whereas when you've got a fixed body truck, which we have, we've got some of the normal fixed bodies truck. When the truck's gone, the, the body goes with it. So it, it does yeah. offer a convenience of that. I mean, we've three drawbars that take demountables and, and we've got 19 of the demountable bodies now with a view to getting some more because they're just easier. And we do quite a bit of import work for agents. They're now wanting more and more to bring the container to store for two or three weeks and then deliver to client. Well, if we get a 20 foot comes in, just back it to the demount, offload it when the job's ready to go out and off you go. So the cost saving is dramatic. And my brother James went to Switzerland a couple of weeks ago picked a job up for Chester and he's got short-term storage so he's had three weeks but his stuff's just in the same truck it was loaded into and it'll be delivered in the same truck so you've got less damages less cool. less filling of storage containers I mean we don't we don't we wouldn't leave stuff in there for for weeks and weeks on end but if it's a month storage and it's quite all right just sat there it'll, it'll all help what advice would you give to yourself just starting out in the industry in terms of advice I would say yeah like I said before know your costings so the key to it all is know your costings and not be afraid of marketing yourself at the better end of the market. Danny said the same. Trying to chase every job, every bit of cash you can, every bit of income, sometimes is a bit of a fool's rush. You end up yeah. You end up running around charging about. And, and when you look at the bottom line, and that's another thing you had to learn to do, is learn how to, to manage your money. And, you know, and everyone looks at the top line, but doesn't look at the bottom line. And the bottom line is the bit you've got left. And some, so many Absolutely. people are concerned, and, and including myself, and they think the bottom line's going to fall in. Well, it doesn't, unless the bits in the middle are correct. Learning to read balance sheets, learning management structure. It's, it only comes with time, but I don't think you can apply a business course to removals. People go off and get a degree in business. Our industry is more than that. We've not got a product that's going to cut production costs and all that sort of stuff. We've got a service that we've got to sell, and we've got to maintain that service. So. If there could be a bespoke training course in removals, I think it'd probably last a lifetime. <laughs> because you'd never, you'd never get to the, you'd never get to the bottom of it. And there's so many spin-offs as well: commercial moving, deep sea moving, European moving, domestic moving, storage. There's so many little niches that we do most of those. Barring the commercial moving, we do it most. But it's only from experience that we've gained. Where do you see yourself in the industry in the next five years? The industry as a whole, and our company is in, we work for a lot of other movers. We do a lot of corporate moving in and out of Europe, and we do a lot of export where we go and do the origin services or the import services. And that London pool of companies is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. There's a lot more mergers and acquisitions. And that's within a, a sort of a bit of a niche because your domestic moving companies in Hull and York and Middlesbrough and that, they weren't even know of these companies existing. But because we do a lot of work for them, we're sort of in that in that ilk. But I think that, that side of the industry will get smaller and smaller because this, this COVID thing has made people realise that they don't need to be in a specific country to work. They don't need to be, they can work from home. So there'll be less and less corporate moving and less and less businesses placing their signees elsewhere. So it means that there'll be less and less moving in that ilk of the, the whole industry. The domestic market, I think, will just 
carry on. It has its peaks and troughs, which we all know, depending on government policy at the moment, that's obviously pushing the industry on, which is good. The industry will always be here. People always move house because life dictates that. They may change jobs. They may want to be near family. They may retire to the coast. There's always different reasons. Uh, the industry will always be there. It's just the volumes go up and down. Myself, probably still doing the same. Sometimes I think, oh, I'd just like to do something else. But and, and James does the same, but it's what do you do? What do you do? It gets you this industry, and, and most people will... Oh, doesn't it ever? It's just it's just full-time. It becomes it becomes your life. And don't get me wrong, I enjoy it. I like the friends that I've got in the industry. They're just some of the best people. And you'll, you'll some of them will be mutual friends between you and I. And some people, they are just the best people, you know, friends in different countries. And, and, and it's only from being a removal man, being in this industry. But so many people, they, they get out of it. And then Six months later, ah, oh, they're back in. <laughs> I think Steve John, the the, the editor, the the mover, it just draws you back in, draws you back in in some way or other. Oh, I've, yeah. I've never got out of it, but the market, as I say, will will always dictate because they always have people. There's a boom on at the moment, but how long that lasts? I mean, I think the stamp duty extension is it's good for us, good for us as a, a, a as an industry because it, it's it's elongated the period fifteen months. But what people aren't realising is uh, they're, they're rushing around trying to save five to ten grand on the stamp duty, but they're paying twenty grand too much for the house. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Plus the interest, so they're actually paying more than than what they have. But that's that people's problems, and and they can do that. But in terms of us, we'll just probably be doing the same in five years' time. I can't see the changing. Like I said to you before, geographically where we are, there's no big industry around here, so we won't be doing anything other than what we're doing. How have you found imports and exports since Brexit? Um, better. I would say better because you've either got to commit to Brexit or you haven't. There's a few more just in the last couple of weeks, people that have, I've seen that are, are actually now going. Melanie, who's worked for us a number of years, she came to help us out one afternoon and uh, she's been there 24 years now. She spent... You have to let her out of the office at some point. Yeah, yeah I know. But she spent probably three to four months on and off preparing for Brexit, which was difficult because we didn't have any real guidance on what we were going to be doing. But towards the end, it came into its own, and now we've got where we've, we're, we're back out. We've done probably 15, 16 trips since the beginning of the year. The first two I actually did myself, which, back to being the owner as well as a driver, I can be certain of when we, the first trip we got to Hull Docks, we were shipping out Hull to Rotterdam. The lady says, under the paperwork, and she says, oh, that's not right. And I was like, well, it is right. This is, And I went through it all with her, and she went, and then she said, oh, I'll put it into the system. And she come back, oh, yeah, it is right. Well, that's because I was involved in the, the setting up of what we needed to do. Right. If it had been just a driver, it had rung me up on the Sunday evening and said, oh, they've said I can't ship out, and they would have had a problem. Yeah. So I did that myself initially, and then now, by the end of next week, all of our drivers and crew will have done at least one European trip. So the systems are now sort of dropping into place. But when Brexit was muted, a few people were asking me and they were saying, oh, what do you think is going to happen? I said, well, what will happen is government will agree something. Governments, it doesn't matter to the politicians because they'll always get paid. Then the civil servants will come in and agree some of the details. But then when business actually has to do it, be it removals, be it transport, be it selling products, businesses will always sort it out because we have to sort things out to get a revenue stream. Yeah. So 
things are now three months down the line a lot lot better everyone that's got their head around doing their tea farms export declarations what each client needs to be accepted into customs and notes have been made and right if they're moving to france they need this this and this and if they're moving to germany need this this and this and this farm needs to be filled in so it will get easier but it's made it better purely and simply because a lot of people have literally thought we can't do that. We've not got a customs agent. We've not got a ARE number. We've not got this. We've not got that. So they've literally pulled out the market. So the actual, ah, so the actual number of movers, when business does start getting going and COVID disappears and companies do relocate people, the actual number of movers will be less that are bidding for the work. Yeah. Because a lot of these move management companies, in particularly in London, don't have a truck. They'll profess to be a mover and they'll work for these relocation companies, but they have no physical way of moving anything themselves. So if the pool of companies that are set up that can do a door-to-door, London to Paris, Frankfurt to Manchester, whatever, it will actually be better for the movers because it won't be a case of, well, that's the price, take it or leave it, but it will be a case of now you'll pay the price that we should have been getting prior to Brexit. So it will help and... The import and export deep sea, again, I think it'll come back. The private migrant market has pretty much disappeared. You know, your average people moving to Australia, New Zealand, Canada, that's very, very, very much down. I think it'll come back because those countries will um, will want people again. So people will be enticed to go back there. So your private shippers who are big in that market, some of them have, have practically disappeared. You know, as a company to have 60 office staff and they're down to seven just because there's no volumes there i was at pickford's hq last week delivering an export job and it was going to america and they're struggling to get you know they used to have a container for los angeles a container for new york a container for miami a container for wherever sat there waiting to be filled and now they're down to just doing east coast and west coast in one container right and that's a number of companies feeding into there so it, it, yeah, and they yeah. can't even get one container away at the moment so it tells you when independent companies were doing three, four containers a week of exports for private people. So it will, as I say, it will come back and and it will pick up. But we've had peaks and troughs in the in the time I've been in the industry, and and probably even more with the times you've been there doing it longer. It's it's, but it always survives. People always find a way to make money. It's just how much you make at the time. So, but when countries are actively recruiting people from the UK. That will pick back up. And the imports wise, the imports just seem to be people returning back because they're coming back for family because this COVID outbreak has focused people's minds on, on family rather than being so far away. Brexit certainly, business wise, it, it was looking like a bit of a precipice, but now we've got over that sort of hill and I think it'll be better. I think it'll be better for us as an industry and it'll be better for us as a company, but it's, it's just committing to doing so, which we did and, and we now seem to be getting the rewards for it. I see you're not a member of the BAR. May I ask why not? Right, well, there's, there's a little bit of a, a story to that. What it was, the company that I, when I originally left school and went to work for, the owner is actively involved in the BAR, various committees and, and stuff. Tonks, when we bought the company, was a BAR member. So we thought it would just carry on, but apparently then if it was a change of ownership, the company was automatically basically thrown out for a year. And then you had to reapply under the new ownership. So about five, six years after earning Tonks, we applied to BAR to join. And we got a letter back saying that we weren't basically welcome. 
and I think I could never prove it to this point. I think it was a case of my previous employer, because he bid for Tonks at the time and we outbid him. He didn't want me and my brother to become a member in the local area. We have discussed it again, and Nigel keeps <laughs> go on, Richard. Get you know, you know, we've got a brand new facility operate all around Europe. We wait for endless high end. Just moved a billionaire down to Switzerland on behalf of somebody else. But at the back of the mind, it still niggles me. It's, yeah, I get that. It, it still niggles me that the BR is, a, in my opinion, at the time, it's probably changed now with the with the whys and wherefores of the management change at BAR with obviously Ian's now in charge, and that's fine. But at the time, in early 2000s, it's a trade association and it's not a private members club. Yeah. And it just gripes me that that's the thing. And, you know, there's no no worries about the costings. I did actually send them an email a few weeks ago just to send me the current criteria for joining because I'm, I'm looking at doing something else, which that would help to uh, help towards that application. And again, it would simply be joining to join something else. There's no benefit as me as a company. Would it have got us more business throughout? We've maybe had one every couple of years, so I'm not moving with you because you're not in the BER. I'm not unduly worried. But my previous employer is still active in there, so even if I applied again, then maybe. I don't think they would because, like I said to you before, about knowing people within the industry, I think my man and my brother that were known and we, we chose to apply, would stand us in good stead now. But I just, I just, I don't know. It's, uh, it's not, yeah, it's, it's left a bit of a, a bit of a disdain with me. Because yeah, yeah. I get that. We should have, there was no reason why we weren't no, no. We're involved. So what do you do outside of the industry to switch off? I usually sleep a lot. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and you've done 50, 60 hours physically doing removals and, and the management stuff on top. It usually takes its toll. But no, no, I do. I've not got any specific hobbies. I've started doing a lot more walking with my wife because uh, now the kids are big enough. They don't, they don't even like us, I don't think, anymore. Um, <laughs> so so they, don't, they don't spend less time with us. Last year, I put an extension on the back of my house. Again, back to being a tight Yorkshireman, I had a quote from a builder and I thought, well, you know, we can do that. So, so yeah, so I, I did that, which was quite a big thing. I do like F1 motor racing, which much the the staying of the rest of my family. They're like, oh, you're watching cars go around the track. I'm like, yeah. So. Oh, F1's brilliant. F1's brilliant. Who's your team, Richard? McLaren, if anybody. And who's your driver? I, I like Lando at the moment. He's just, he just seems Good to man. be, he just seems to be, but I wish George had got in Mercedes because yeah. that, it just seems it's a bit of a one-man team. But, yeah, it's uh, it's something I've always liked from being 10, watching cars. But, yeah, that sort of thing. I like any motorsports, really. Indy cars, F1, rallycross, anything like that is uh, is good. I've had a go in a, a couple of rally cars over the time as well. So, But drive, drive, I love driving. Hence, you know, if somebody said to me, there's a job to go to Oslo, all right, so I'll just drive to Oslo then. Oh, there's a job to go to Lisbon in Portugal, all right, we'll just drive to Lisbon. So, yeah, so I think that's where it comes from, the, the love of driving. Actively involved in the village where I live, parish council, and yes, I think they wanted me on the parish council because I have some vans. So there's all, <laughs> can we pick up this from there? Can we do this? Can that be done from there? Can that be done from there? So, so yeah, so I get involved in that and just helping out. And finally, I like to end my podcasts with a funny moving story or two. Do you have one or more to tell? Uh, are these, is this X-rated or not an X-rated? 
Oh, don't you start. Nobody gives me X-rated ones. I don't mind what they are. No. Nah. they're funny. No, no. <laughs> well, one that's slightly X-rated. This didn't happen to me, but it happened to two of my staff. We were doing a, a 20-foot export origin work for a client in Leicester. The guys had been there day one, and they were packing the house up, and they said to the guy on the job, there was husband and wife, said to the guys, um, what are you doing this evening? Are you going back to your depot? Mark and John said, no, obviously we're, we're in Leicester. We're, we're from Yorkshire, so we, we sleep in the truck, and we'll find somewhere to park or something to eat. So the guy says, well, if you go down the end of my street, turn left, there's a, there's a big open area of land there. You can park the truck there. And he said, um, well, he said, me and my wife, we're, um, we're moving out tomorrow, obviously, and uh, we're going to have our last evening in the hot tub in the, in the garden. So Mark and John was like, all right, yeah, fair enough. And the guy says, well, my wife would like it if, um, wouldn't mind as if you joined us. <laughs> so Mark, Mark, Mark trying to deflect the situation said, um, well, I, I, thanks for the offer, but I've not got my trunks with me. And he says, oh, my wife says that uh, you two don't need your trunks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh, dear. Yeah, so uh, they made the, uh, needless to say, they, um, they went and parked elsewhere and they left them to their own evening in the hot tub. <laughs> but, but that's happened on more than one occasion, I can tell you, over the years. But Oh, dear me. And a, another one that, that springs in my mind was myself on a job. A lady had been quoted to do a move and we, we turned up to do the move. Nothing was packed, nothing was, and she, she was like, oh, you have to pack all this and this, that, and the other. And I said, well, unfortunately, it's not what you've paid for. This should be prepared, and, and oh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm not happy with the service that I'm receiving, and she was going on and on and on, obviously not knowing that I was the owner. So she's like, well, I'm going to get in touch with your office, and I'm going to tell this, this, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. And I said to, to the point, I said, all right, okay, that's fine. And she says, well, I'm going to speak to whoever's in charge. I said, right, okay, then. So, and I said, well, just... Rather than ringing the office and, and getting fobbed off, what I'll do is I said, I said, I'll give you the owner of the company's mobile number and you can speak to them directly. And then you, you're going to get all your questions, anything that you've got issues with, you're going to get sorted out. So she says, yeah, that'll be perfect. So she gets her mobile out. <laughs> so I says, yeah, oh, someone said, bye, 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 bye. And I'm stood in front of her and she pressed go. Next thing, obviously, phone in my pocket starts ringing. So I picked my phone out and I showed her hair number on my phone. And her face was like, <laughs> Oh. So I ended the call. I said, right, so now you're talking to the owner who's telling you that and her attitude changed straight away. She was the most nice person. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, yeah, because obviously she th- she thought I was just some somebody nomad there who was just there to do as she said, and it soon uh, it soon changes. But uh, I often don't tell people that I'm the owner. I just say, I'm, just, I'm Richard from Tonks, and, and uh, we're here to move you, so. But yeah, some of the some of the some of the tales that the lads cut say when they come back from a job are, are things that have happened to me. You know, I ended up at a funeral one time in France, <laughs> and ended up at a drug dealer's birthday party. That was in France again. So yeah, just just scra- scrapes that you get into from just being just being away from home is is uh, is bizarre. We've had one client dug up a dead cat skeleton out of the garden and put it in a bag. No. Yep, and she wanted the cat to be buried in the house she was living. Oh. So we had to move the cat. We've had another one. We couldn't go into a bedroom until the dog had died. The dog was dying on the bed. And Oh, you're joking. No, the dog was ill, terminally ill, and she said, the dog, I think the dog's going to pass away, but you can't go in there. In the end, I had to go in and lift the dog on the floor. I said, unfortunately, the dog will just have to die on the floor because we need that bed. <laughs> <laughs> we had, we had, <laughs> So, yeah, um, but, yeah, we've had all sorts over the years. The stories are, are endless. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's certainly, again, that's back to, back to being stuck in this industry. It draws you back in because 
The only problem is, Colin, over the last 10 years, the fun has gone out of the industry. It used to be really fun. Every, you know, it used to have so much fun. And unfortunately, a lot of that's disappeared. Really? Yeah, just, just the clients are just becoming more and more serious and more and more... Demand, they're more demanding. Demand, yeah. Demanding and, and they're just not, I don't know, they're just expecting more and more and more. And the fun that used to be the fun, maybe that's just us getting older, getting older. That's the why there's not as much fun now because we're, we're probably old and, and not as keen. But, uh, but yeah, the, the, the fun seems to have disappeared. Oh, that's such a shame. Well, Richard, thank you very much for your time this morning. I truly appreciate it. And hopefully we can put the fun back into the industry over the next few years. Yes, no problem, Colin. Yeah, hopefully, as I say, as long as you're happy turning up to work and happy doing what you're doing, I think this industry will survive. It's just customers that are always the problem. It will always survive. Thank you very much, Richard. No problem. Cheers, Colin, now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye for now. I sincerely hope you enjoyed episode 21 of Moving Matters. Please rate, review and subscribe in your favourite podcast player of choice and please tell your industry colleagues about Moving Matters. My thanks and appreciation go to Richard Webster of Tonks Removals for giving up his time to record this episode. Thank you again, Richard. If you would like to know more about Tonks Removals and the services they provide, then you will find links within the show notes for this episode and on our webpage, movingmatterspodcast.co.uk. Since recording this podcast episode, it gives me great pleasure to congratulate Richard and the entire team at Tonks Removals for applying and gaining membership to the BAR. And please, if you have a funny moving story that can be relayed to our listeners or you would like to be a guest on the podcast, then do reach out to me by completing the contact form on our webpage, movingmatterspodcast.co.uk. Well, that is all from me. So until next time, keep moving. <laughs>